The following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The content, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of BMC or the town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Community Conversations. I'm your host, Roger Colton. I purchased a Mac computer recently. Uh, I've been a, a lifelong Windows user, and as I sat at my front room table with my 26-year-old daughter sitting across the uh, table from me, about every 30 seconds I would look over at her and ask, how do I do this or how do I do that? And it was an experience that impressed upon me the fact that what I thought I knew about technology was probably old and out of date and if that was true for me on a personal level, it was probably even more true on a public level. And I thought others might be interested as well in learning more about technology and how it affects our town government. So that's all a long-winded uh, introduction to why I've asked Paul Roberts to join us today. Paul is chair of the Information Technology Advisory Committee, ITAC for the town of Belmont, and we're going to talk about how technology and town government work together. So thanks for stopping over. Thanks for having me, Roger. It's a pleasure. Uh, before we really get started, can, uh, can you give us an introduction to who you are and uh, sure. uh, what your interest in technology is? Sure. Um, so I'm Paul Roberts, and I am uh, the chair of the town's IT advisory committee. I'm a town meeting member for uh, 10 years, more than 10 years, uh, from Precinct 8, and um, former school committee member. And let's see, um, personally, I'm, um, you know, husband and father of three daughters, uh, all going to the Belmont Public Schools, uh, and uh, have lived in town since uh, 2005. And when we moved right around the time our, our oldest was about to start uh, kindergarten at Wimbrook, um, professionally, I am a journalist and have been for the last uh, 16 years. I write about, I've, that entire time, I've written about cybersecurity, which when I started covering it in 2002 was a fairly obscure topic, mostly limited to the technology press. And uh, now we, as we now realize, has moved very much to the center of uh, national politics and um, and uh, national life. So um, it's been a pretty amazing experience to um, see that happen as a professional and a reporter. Um, I write, I started about six years ago, started my own publication called Security Ledger, and I, I've basically had my own sort of small media business since then. That's how I, how I make a living. And the and ITAC, the Information Technology Advisory Committee, yes. uh, has what as its charge? It's an interesting committee. Um, we are nine members, uh, nine appointed members. We're actually appointed by three different um, bodies within town. The Board of Selectmen, um, who support, who appoint four members. The School Committee appoints four members. And the Library Board of Trustees appoints one member. And I am actually the Library Board of Trustees appointee to the, to the committee. Um, so it is interesting in its makeup. It is mostly... Um, information technology professionals who uh, you know are working in the field who have a background either as computer science uh, engineers um, uh, network engineers um, you know 
physicists and and folks who have you know kind of deep knowledge of technology. Um, back when it was initially formed, which I think was in the in the early '90s, um, it was a period in which the town was really starting to build out an information technology infrastructure. So the earliest deployments of personal computers and then computer networks to connect them um, within the town. And the, and ITAC back then was really a reservoir of know-how about everything from, you know, kind of purchasing to networking and sure. deployment. So we were really a resource that the town could use. I think p before the town had a full-time IT director uh, or even an IT department to help with some of those challenges. And then over the years, we have, um, as the town has accrued both a both a IT director for the town and for the schools, um, and you know the library has its own IT person, the police and public safety folks do. Um, we've moved to a more of an advisory role of helping them to assess and evaluate bigger picture um, projects. For example, um, you know, the town's, you know, helping to plan and deploy the town's fiber optic uh, network, um, you know, advising on long-term kind of strategic goals and plans. Okay, um, yeah. speaking of the long-term, I, I have heard you say before that technology is going to completely change the way local governments interact with their citizenry mm -hmm. or with their constituency. Yes. Have I accurately represented your opinion? Yeah, yes. I mean, I think, you know, technology is going to, is, is as we can look around us and start to see, you know, the, um, you, you know, a bunch of different um, uh, developments uh, technology-wise are kind of prompting all kinds of changes in our in our world, in our society. So you can look at the advent, for example, of the smartphone um, and, and, um, and services, for example, like Uber and Lyft, ride-sharing, ride-hailing services that really, re or I used a, a Lime bike to get over here, a bike-sharing service. You know, that just simply would not have been uh, something possible in the days before the smartphone because there would have been no way to do the transaction, right? I mean, how, who do you get a rent from? You would need a bike stand, and there just wasn't, you know, there, there wasn't enough critical mass for that to support paying somebody to have a bike stand, and then where do you put the bike stand? So, I mean, it's, you know, smartphones and that technology, ubiquitous internet connectivity are, go are tr already transforming our, our lived spaces, our environments, and we can see it with ride-hailing services. We can see it with online shopping and Amazon. We can see it with bike-sharing services, um, Airbnb, um, this sort of shared economy. And it stands to reason that those changes are going to work their way into both the government space and, of course, the local government space as time goes by. I would say right now we're at the very early days, very early um, um, stages of that transformation, but it will accelerate over the next 10 to 20 years. Now, I was at a board of selectmen's meeting uh, one night, and you were you were there, uh -huh. and you were demonstrating a technology that allowed for not only remote access to uh, the meeting, but a remote interactivity. Mm. Uh, meeting, I, it, meeting owl. Is that what it was called? Yeah. I couldn't have remembered what, yeah. it, what it was called, but somebody could be sitting 
in front of a laptop watching the Board of Selectmen or any other committee. Right. And not only watch the committee, but right. be able to participate. Yes. It's called Meeting Owl, um, and it's it's actually pretty – it's 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 a pretty amazing piece of technology and also in some ways very unremarkable. Um, it is um, they're actually a local Owl Labs is a local company. I think they're based in Somerville. And actually, uh, when I reached out to them, I was surprised to see that the wife of a very good friend of mine, Scott DiDio, uh, uh, Amy DiDio, is um, is very high up in that company. And she was actually the one who brought the meeting Owl to the Selectman's meeting and demoed it for us, which was really nice of her to do. Um, so. I guess backing up a step from that, one of the things that I did, and 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 I've I've been at the head of a of a change kind of an IT advisory committee or a refocusing of the mission of IT advisory committee from from merely advising, you know, as I said, on kind of big big long term um, questions related to IT to actually a much more kind of hands on. Um, role in the community and fostering change and and um, researching issues that might prompt um, you know technological change and adoption here in, in Belmont's government. Um, one of the things that we've decided to do as a committee is really lead by example um, to show the way to that we might some of our uh, that our town government might leverage technology to foster transparency, to tr- foster interaction um, with the public who, by and large, spend a lot of their time online, right? Um, and one way we've done that is with by streaming all of our full committee meetings. Subcommittee meetings, we, we generally don't, but full committee meetings um, for the last two years, we have streamed using a very simple setup with a laptop, um, a webcam, um, a, a, a pretty decent microphone, um, USB microphone that kind of can capture 360-degree sound. And can I back you up for a minute yeah. and have you explain in uh, 30 words what you mean by streaming? Streaming means somebody can sit at their home in front of a laptop or a desktop. Good point. Yes. And watch and watch the committee meeting. That's correct. That's correct. So we okay. use we use a platform right now. We use Zoom, um, which is an online meeting platform that let's say people who work in the private sector might um, participate in remote meetings with their colleagues over a platform like Zoom. We've used in the past Google Hangouts, which is a free platform that Google offers. And yes, as you could sit at home in your living room or in your bed um, and not only see what's happening in the meeting, but also be able to ask questions, um, talk to people in the room, and so on. We've, we've enabled that in our meetings using a very low-cost setup with a USB microphone, a webcam that I usually set up on a tripod somewhat above the table, and it sort of it sort of looks down uh, on the table, um, which is great. It didn't cost anything, and you get a pretty good sense of what's going on in the meeting. However, um, it's not perfect. In particular, you know, it it sometimes people are off camera because they're kind of sitting proximal to the to the webcam. Sometimes it could be hard to figure out who's speaking, who's saying what. Yeah, who's saying what? You know, there's kind of a jumble of sound. So Meeting Owl is a technology that basically you, you plant it in the middle of the table, um, and it looks sort of like an Amazon Echo or something, or like a, a sound bar. It's kind of a tall cylinder. It looks a little bit like an owl, which is why they call it Meeting Owl. Um, and it's got a 360-degree camera in it, so it can see all the way around the room. And it's got mics, so it can hear all the way around the room. And basically, the cool thing about it is that they've designed software that will basically parse up that 360-degree image and 
focus in on the face of whomever's talking. Um, so when you plant it there, it takes that image of everybody seated around, seated around that table, parses it up into a bunch of different faces, and then as people talk, those faces kind of slide in and slide off camera, um, become bigger or smaller, and sort of recreates for people who are not in the room the sense of being at the table and seeing everybody participate. And my impression would be, and correct me if I'm wrong here, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I just feel old, but uh, th that there is a generational shift, that, uh, uh, that there is a younger generation who would jump at the ability to use that remote participation yes. in a way that perhaps my generation would not. As I see it, yeah, and I mean, I you know, again, I'm in. I have an online media company. You know, I do a blog and I, I a podcast sure. and webinars, and I host in a you know, I, I do a technology event. So I think all day long about how to reach people online. I don't necessarily think I'm brilliant at it. Sometimes I don't think I'm very good at it at all. But I'm thinking about it all the time. Um, and you know what I what I recognize and what's obvious is yes, that not only young people, but frankly most people who are out there as professionals working in in the business world are getting consuming most of their information online from websites from podcasts from news feeds via email um, via video and YouTube when I look at my daughters you know the amount of video they consume via YouTube and Netflix and so on Hulu is astounding and it's just how they it's how they absorb things um, and then when you look at local government, um, what you see is that it's a totally different um, paradigm. You know, it's about, you know, being in the room where it happened, as they say in Hamilton. You know, you got to be in that town meeting room, conference room one on a Tuesday evening at 730. And if you're seated there, seated there, then you'll hear what's going on. And if you didn't, well, you know, you can read the, the, the secretary's notes when they get posted on the website. You know, it's just not how people engage these days. So I look at it as, and even though it's not like we get tons of people who attend remotely uh, to our streamed meetings, that's not really the point. The point is if they want to, they can. And the second point is by streaming them and then having the, the video of that session, um, if they want to on their own time, you know, listen to that meeting, fast forward to a particular part of it, or or understand what's happened, it's there for them in a, in a format that they can access. Well, that's an interesting question. How, how does one archive a, a, a video? So somebody uh, signs in from, from home and asks the ITAC committee a question. Mm. Th does that all get, get captured somewhere and become a public record? Yeah, so that would all be part of the video. You would have the video of both the people in the room and then the people uh, captured on that video would be the attendees. Um, and then if, if they were to ask a question, either via text or uh, voice, that would, be, that would be captured as well. Um, so yes, um, I mean, it, de it depends on the platform that you're using um, uh, as to how much of that interactivity is captured. But certainly if they were to vocally ask a question, um, then that would be that would be preserved as part of the video. And then I would say to folks, you know, go to YouTube and type in IT Advisory Committee or Belmont IT Advisory Committee, and you'll find our YouTube channel with all of our meetings archived there as videos that you can watch and, and listen to. And not to denigrate the ITAC committee, but if the planning board were to do this, uh, 
when they considered their marijuana zoning bylaw. Yes. There, there could be a lot of people who would say, I've got three kids at home. I really can't go to town hall for sure. two or three hours. But if I could stream it online and go to particular parts of it, of course, that would be a big deal. Sure. And not just people with young kids, but, you know, folks who are seniors who don't feel, you know, up to going out on a snowy evening or, you know, braving the ice at this time of year to go to the town hall. You know, they can they can watch from their kitchen and participate as well, ask questions. So there there are two questions there, which is or there are two points there. One is the public participating. And the other, of course, is committee members participating. Remotely, oh, of course. Right. Um, you're on a business trip or uh, you have a child care conflict as a committee member. Um, allowing committee members to deliberate, vote um, via some remote technology, for example, you know, webcam, um, is another issue. And, and IT Advisory Committee right now is, is putting together, we've done a survey and we're putting together a report for the selectmen um, on that very thing, both allowing the public to participate remotely, which is kind of a no-brainer, um, and in fact doesn't require selectmen approval, but allowing committee members to deliberate, vote, participate remotely, um, that does require approval from the selectmen to do because of the open meeting law. Sure. I'd like to change directions mm -hmm. for just a moment because I don't want to give the impression that all town government is is committee meetings and uh, hearings and things like that. So I'd like you to let your imagination uh, wander for a bit. One of the big issues in Belmont is traffic, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, is, is there a, a technological solution? I'm not going to ask you to solve the traffic problem this morning, but does technology play a role in, in addressing traffic? Can you? Um, so it depends on how far you want your brain to wander, right? Okay. So I would say if you were to ask that question just flat out, could technology provide a solution to the tremendous, you know, traffic problems? We and have solution online? may be overstated. Yeah, or, a, or some kind of remedy. Yeah. Um, asked kind of baldly like that, sure, of course. In the, in the short term, I don't think that there's a technolo technologic fix to these problems because as, I mean, I, you, I'm, I don't even tell you anything about this. You know, you've forgotten more than I ever know about this, but you know, the, the traffic problems in Belmont are structural problems that are much bigger than Belmont. Sure. They have to do with the lack of transportation alternatives. They have to do with, you know, um, residential and commercial development that doesn't take traffic into account. They have to do with the reliability of our public transportation infrastructure. They have to do, uh, and they have to do with new technologies like Waze and Google Maps that have allowed people, and, and GPS that have allowed people to start to leverage technology to modify their, you know, commuting um, uh, patterns um, to try and, you know, gain some kind of efficiency. But that's had a spillover effect in towns like Belmont that sure. I don't think anybody really anticipated. Um, you know, so... In, but if we were to step back from it and say, well, what what could we do? I mean, I'd say, obviously, the first thing to do would be, of course, to have a both federal and then state and then local transportation vision that involves getting single, single occupant vehicles off the road and providing environmentally, you know, um, healthy, sustainable mass transit options or policies that 
um, promote people to um, not all drive to work at 8.45 and drive home <laughs> at 5. Um, that would be good. We're still commuting basically the way we did in the 1960s, and, and it's not the 1960s. It's 2018. So, so that doesn't really involve technology. That involves having the will as a, as a country and as a state to tackle these problems, and right now we just don't have that will. Okay. Um, beyond that, though, um, you, know, you, could look <laughs> you could look at things like um, – you know, it, it, I mean, if you look at the fact that the that the um, mass turnpike has gotten rid of tolls, and now we just have license plate scanners and little um, you know um, uh, radio pods in all of our cars, and and that's all done transparently. Um, you look at things like smartphones and and Bluetooth technology um, or or four G, five G wireless technology, and you say, hmm. Could towns like Belmont start tolling local roads? Could we toll Brighton Road or could we toll um, uh, Concord Avenue um, so that and, and do some form of congestion pricing so that if people are driving through town you know, during certain times of day, they're going to pay more. And if they're driving on these roads at all, they're going to pay some fractional amount, you know, five cents or something to Belmont for the, for the pleasure, for the um, right to do that. Um, yeah, that technology already exists. We could deploy it, and that could be a source of revenue that would incidentally also impose a cost on people to cut through Belmont and benefit the town. Um, we would need state approval to do that. The state sure. would really need to change its thinking about allowing that type of um, activity. Um, but there's no reason that could happen now, today. The technology already exists. And listening to you talk about that, it, it seems to me or it strikes me that indeed towns are sort of uh, unique in their ability to experiment with different yes. technological responses in a way that uh, in a way that the state and certainly the federal government could not. Yes, it's interesting. I mean, I think. You know, we all kind of tend to look at countries that are, you know, Scandinavia or you know, Germany or whatever, and where they do these, you know, they have these very kind of ambitious, um, you know, federal visions and goals, and they pursue them. Um, you don't really have that in the United States. We definitely don't have a federal vision or goal right now. Um, but there is, you know, sort of states are the incubators of democracy and sort of localities are the incubators for all different kinds of things. S smart city and smart town initiatives are one of those. And while in general the U.S. is behind other parts of the world, China and Europe in, uh, or Asia and Europe and some of these things, l looked at in the context of individual communities, cities, you know, Chicago, New York, um, uh, Boston in some ways, um, there is some really interesting stuff going on, some really interesting experimentation going on. Um, yeah. I'd like to ask you about one of the downsides of an in increasing reliance on technology. We hear about the information uh, intrusions of financial institutions and uh, uh, credit card companies, things like that. And then we see uh, Belmont institutions such as Belmont Water and Belmont Light installing smart meters. Mm -hmm. Is uh, You work on information mm -hmm. security. Mm -hmm. uh, is there a concern there? Do you have a concern? Should the public have a concern? <clears throat> so, I mean, I'm the cybersecurity guy or one of the cybersecurity guys on the panel. Um, um, yes and no. So yes, um, there are definitely concerns about about technology like smart meters being vulnerable to um, various types of cyber attack um, in theory. Um, in practice, um, there is not much evidence that 
that there have been attacks against these types of infrastructures. So people shouldn't be losing sleep over this. People should not be losing sleep, and the benefits to the community of connected infrastructure like smart meters, so where we can basically passively con collect real, more or less real-time metering data as opposed to periodically sending human beings around to read meters and, and paying them to do that. Um, that's a huge advantage to the town that far outweighs the very marginal, low percentage risk of some kind of cyber incident. Um, that said, the town and all towns need to be asking very hard questions of their vendors, uh, their uh, second and third party suppliers, about issues of um, uh, data security, data privacy, data integrity, cybersecurity. Um, you know, frankly, a lot of vendors who supply governments and and you know large companies and infrastructure providers have not been in have have not are not in the habit or not accustomed to being asked probing questions about those issues. And in my experience, they generally don't have good answers to them. So cybersecurity has not been a priority for them because, frankly, the threats and attacks weren't there. And therefore, their products, while they are highly reliable, um, may not necessarily be very secure. And perhaps uh, I uh, went a wrong direction. It, it perhaps isn't just a cyber attack, but if somebody has information on my electricity use for every 15 minutes of a day, they know a whole lot about what's going on in uh, in my household. <laughs> they know when I'm gone. They know uh, when I'm home. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, it, that, that, I mean, that is definitely a concern. Um, of course, they would... They, they would not necessarily be able to passively collect that data, so they would need to have access to the systems of the utility to look at Roger Colton's electricity use patterns. And, of course, if they have access to the utility, then arguably we've got a much bigger problem than them figuring out, you know, of course. when you're yes. at home. Um, yes. But, but yes, and, and this is an issue that comes up a lot, um, for example, with, um, you know, cell phones and the, the various apps that track your activity. And, oh, of course. And definitely with smart home, you know, as people are adding more connected devices to their homes, which is, you know, vendors might say things like, well, we, you know, uh, we collect data, but it's anonymized. You know, you can't. You can't tell who the person is just based on the data they're sending us. It's just the machine, you know, the device's address, and yada yada yada. But folks have shown pretty pretty readily that while it may not uniquely identify a person, you can uniquely identify a person if you look at the pattern of the data, right? Uh -huh. So, no, your identity as Roger Colton is not in this data. However, if we look at that data, like your patterns of movement and electricity use and so on we may well be able to figure out that it's Roger Colton's data we're looking at um, if we've got enough data points or different types of data from your home and your, your surroundings. Um, and the New York Times, I think, has done some really interesting um, work on this, on sort of de-anonymizing people from their data um, and basically saying, you know, this pattern of movement is this person. So those are things that we as a community and as a society need to be very thoughtful about. Um, and it's, it's hard for Belmont because we're a small community. We're at the end of the, you know, we're the customer. Um, and we're not a huge customer from, from their standpoint. So we can ask hard questions and we can push back and we can make, try and make smart purchasing decisions and contracting decisions based on the answers that we get. 
but at the end of the day, we may be forced to choose from among a small number of vendors who provide these particular products and services and, and maybe in a position of kind of picking the least evil. Thank you very much. We're out of time. Uh, wow. <laughs> uh, and I, I'm not out of questions, but we're out of time. Uh, we've been speaking. We haven't even talked about Donald Trump yet. <laughs> <laughs> we've been speaking with Paul Roberts, who is chair of Belmont's ITAC, the Information Technology Advisory Committee. And uh, what I take away from this is that technology is going to affect every single aspect of uh, of local government, uh, the way it interacts with the the community, the services it delivers, the way it delivers those services—it's uh. going to be wonderful. It's going to be—it's going to be tremendous for members of the community um, and and for the types of services Belmont can provide to its residents. And it's going to be a big change. Thanks for uh, stopping over. It's been great fun uh, today. I know you've got a. Uh, a day job, so I appreciate you taking time out to uh, stop over. I'm going to take my Lime bike and go back home. <laughs> Thank you, Roger. We have again been speaking with Paul Roberts, who chairs the Information Technology Advisory Committee. You've been listening to Community Conversations. You can stream Community Conversations online through the BMC Podcast Network at belmontmedia.org, and you can also find Community Conversations uh, at iTunes by searching for the BMC Podcast Network. Thank you again for to Paul. Thank you, the listeners, for tuning in. I'm your host, Roger Colton. I will talk to you again next time.